Welcome to The Concierge CPA. I'm Jackie Meyer, founder of the Concierge Accountant Program and Tax Gun IQ software. This is a podcast for accounting firm owners and influencers who are pursuing world-class service. We discuss their path to excellence, their daily habits, and what influences them and their work. We believe that every person has a unique message that can positively impact the world. Stick around till the end of the show. We'll reveal how you can be our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go, y'all. So we're going to kick off with a little um, discussion that I decided to call Don't Lose Your Balls. <laughs> so today we're talking about balls. Half of us should check. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Big, hairy, audacious. Oh, wait, no, no, that's goals. Sorry, that's goals. That's Does Mark know you're saying these things? Yes, I told him. Oh, yeah, I'm calling him right now. I'm talking, hey, get your head out of the gutter. I'm talking about balls we juggle as entrepreneurs, right? So everybody here actually is in a much better position than a lot of students or accountants back home because we're here on 1015 instead of in the grind. But I think that we can all use some tips and tricks and encouragement with each other to make sure that we're heading in the right direction um, and not getting burnout at work. So Nora Roberts, do you all know who that is? No. Romance author? Okay. She said a really cool quote. Key to juggling is to know that some of the balls you have in the air are made of plastic, some are made of glass. Right? Have y'all heard this before? No. Okay, so if the glass drop, they shatter. There's nothing you can do, you can't get those back. But if the plastic drop, they'll bounce, right? So the key to like juggling work-life balance, etc., is really about prioritizing those glass balls and making sure that those don't shatter. And unfortunately, as accountants, we tend to treat in-use, not urgent items, as ease all the time. And so we're like juggling all these plastic balls that don't really matter as much because they will bounce back. An email to a client within an hour doesn't matter, right? But missing your child's dance recital is probably going to shatter a glass ball, right? So there was a Gallup poll that said 52% of full-time workers report working more than 40 hours a week, 39% work at least 50 hours a week, and 18% work at least 60 hours a week. So accountants in general are, of course, that wonderful 18% of the population, right? And Wayne Oates, who is an American psychologist, he defined this issue as workaholic. And the definition of that is people who spend more time and energy on work than is necessary, struggle to detach outside work hours, and suffer physically and mentally as a result. And various studies show that between 10 to 30% of Americans are workaholics. And I have a feeling a lot of them come from our industry too. Can anyone identify with being a workaholic already? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it kind of comes with the territory, right? So if you talk to most of these people, they'll tell you one of three things. I don't have time to take off. There's no one who can do it like I do. I said that all the time. I just have to take care of this now so I don't have to worry about it later, right? So that definitely probably resonates with you like it did for me, but why does it matter? Well. 
Like other forms of addiction, workaholism can have significant health consequences, higher work-related stress, job burnout, anger, depression, anxiety, psychosomatic symptoms like stomach aches and headaches. And HBR found that 50% of employees left their jobs in 2021 due to mental health reasons. <coughs> can you wow. believe that? How much? 50% of, of employees left their jobs in 2021 for mental health related reasons. So that was 68% millennials and 81% Gen Zers. And so we know we can't afford to lose staff right now. And so this isn't just an issue about us, it's about how we're modeling our firm or our teams, right? Because we don't want them to fall into that burnout, which has happened just recently with us. Yeah. Can you identify for me just what the generations are? I always think that. What's the age? So millennials is like 83 and up, because I was born in 83. Okay. And then Gen Zers is what, 90, I don't know. You tell us, Greg. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, think I, I would say it's, like, it's definitely like- Greg is part of the greatest generation. Probably 90. He's, 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 he's a generation born, he's born two generations later. Yeah, three. I think it's been 90s. I would say. Yeah. So with this what kind of- What are we, what am I? They, they don't know what I was Ancient. Because uh, <laughs> I've been the- I think I'm a behind you. What is the old? No, it's not boomers. It's a. I think it's X. Oh, X and then boomers. Yeah. Okay. But the thing is, like, Americans really make workaholism look sexy, don't we? Like, it's like the dream to like have this crazy, like, cool corporate job or like working sixty or eighty hours a week. And it's really anything but that. And the slide that I had on this kind of showed like the sketch of this beautiful woman in this business suit. And then you see like her real life persona and she's like severely under eating, bags under her eyes, just really sad situation as to where people can go with this. Because the sober reality is that it causes strokes. We've had brain clots in our own group this year in CCA. Divorce. Bulge discs, arthritis, cancer, heart conditions, all these things have happened just within our group. So imagine what the general profession is facing right now. And of course, we're not even talking about depression, anxiety, PTSD. They say PTSD is like more common in like nurses now than war veterans. And so our careers can actually cause a lot of issues. And I know because I'm a recovering addict, I'm going to talk to you all about the importance of Workaholics Anonymous, which I think is like certified concert. So you join us, we get you out of it, but we do still have a lot of work to do, right? And so I felt like I found the cure to workaholism with the way that I value price, tax planning. I want to open up this discussion in a few minutes to like ways that you found that have been helpful to you to not be such a workaholic. But yeah. Hi, I'm Jackie Meyer, and I'm a recovering workaholic. <laughs> At least my therapist says that. And I'm working on it. Get it? <laughs> so there's a meme that's floating around right now that says, I was afraid to go to therapy because what if it fixes me and I stop working in accounting? Yeah. That, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was definitely me. 
And the worst of it really wasn't my career at Deloitte, which was just under two years when you like had to get that minimum two-year mark, right? You know, leaving the office at 2 a.m., coming back at 6 a.m. in non-busy season, which was insane. The worst of it was actually starting my own practice and just feeling like I had to micromanage everything and control everything. And I felt like I was doing a pretty darn good job of all of that until a couple of things happened to me. And a lot of you know this story. Well, maybe one or the other or both, but there were kind of two big wake up calls that I had in my life that I wanted to share if anyone else can identify with it. The first is having children. And people always ask, well, what if I don't have children? I'm like, well, you're gonna have to find another reason <laughs> to, to stop working so much. But it wasn't actually having children itself. It was all the work that comes along with having children, feeding the child, being their sole source of a food supply. Women can relate to this, right? <coughs> it was all the nights that I had to wake up every two hours and I couldn't work through the night during busy season anymore. I had to feed my child and watch her and make sure she's okay. And something really strange happened about two to three months in of having my daughter, Alex, my body just shut down. I got severe brain fog. Like, I think I lost probably half of my, I still haven't gotten it back, probably half of like my working memory. I started getting pain, like back pain, arthritis kind of pain. I would be so tired in the middle of the afternoon that I couldn't sleep because I had to work. But I would start having a panic attack because I was just like, my blood sugar level was all over the place. And I saw so many doctors, I thought I was dying. I saw a brain doctor to make sure it wasn't brain cancer. OBGYN says it was postpartum. I'm like, this is the craziest postpartum I've ever seen in my life. Like who tells you that you're gonna like lose everything? I saw someone for hypoglycemia. I mean, it was just like list after list after list and never really like came to a real solution. And at this point, I just call it chronic fatigue. And that's what you would call an autoimmune disease that you can't diagnose otherwise. And so for me, I have to get 10, y'all know I'm a good sleeper, I think I mentioned that, but I literally have to get 10 to 12 hours of sleep a night for to feel like y'all probably get about six hours. So it's an intense condition, but it happened because I overworked myself and I think I just broke my body and broke my mind. And so that's where my passion lies in helping other accountants because I don't want that to happen to them. And I know some of you have had similar experiences. Ilkner, do you want to share what happened with you? Or? Maybe when it's my time to talk. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we've seen so much this year. One student had a stroke on 915. Yeah, we, and I took the call on that one. It's scary. Yeah, she's in her mid-40s. And she actually, her firm is, compared to the rest of the industry, her firm's pretty efficient, which still means they're inefficient. But to take that call was not good. Yeah, and Jackie and I had to scramble on that, make sure she was covered and everything. And then, lo and behold, she ended up flying to Dallas like six or seven days later, and I had to go with her and her husband. But she got cleared to fly from the, from the yeah. doctor was. But that's not fun from our standpoint to no. those calls. No, no. Yeah. And she wasn't cleared to fly here. And the other student with yeah. heart condition wasn't cleared to fly here either. So just 
like one after another flies were dropping this year. And that's just our small group. Yeah. Think about the industry as a whole. Well, I've heard of several accountants dying this year, and I've heard several accountants walk away from their practice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Basically, I mean, I've had the first time ever where I've had someone say, "Hey, my accountant just said he won't do it anymore. We're done." And wasn't selling, wouldn't do it. Just walked away. Just walked away. That's the first time I've ever heard of that. But we've had a couple barber accountants die of cancer, so you guys would be proud of my value pricing. Okay. Yeah, well, we can workshop that later. Okay. <laughs> so what are you paying? Seventy bucks. Okay, okay. Yeah. Nice. I think though that the worst part about the whole situation was that I was so embarrassed. I didn't tell a soul. The only person that I told was my husband, and I thought he was just gonna, like I thought he just didn't think I was crazy. Like I was making it all up or something. And so he would have me take like a daily diary log of like, what are you eating? What are you drinking? Like what's happening here? And so it, it was a lot, but then I met Chuck and started coaching with him and started making some changes for the better. I still didn't do anything about it though. True, true. <laughs> Until I was pregnant with my second child, Gabe. And then all the stressors and like the reminders of what happened that first time around came back on me and I was like, oh, I cannot do this. Like, I literally told Mark, you know, if I had this child, I might like lose my memory and brain power so much that I can't work anymore because it was so drastic with the first child. And he was like, yeah, we'll work through that if we have to. And fortunately it didn't happen because I had a much better community and structure in place. I wasn't working for people's jobs. We had a team of probably six or eight at that point, so it was a lot better. And so Chuck was never allowed to tell people how he knew I was pregnant with Gabe. But Maybe he, a he, happy he, hour later. Happy hour and like a twenty twenty dollar bill would real well. <laughs> you don't want to know. Anyways, oh, we're on hilarious. Zoom all the time. It There's some hilarious. signs. There's some signs my body's changing. You know. Anyways, <laughs> I'm like. Holy moly, what's going stop, on? Stop, stop, stop. Okay. <laughs> That's like one of our top three, I think. Two bucks. Yeah. 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 You didn't say, hey, you're getting so fat. What's going on? No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't be sitting here today yeah. if I said <laughs> This would have been negated at that point. <laughs> yeah. But I said it with love in my heart. So thanks for checking for Jackie. <laughs> Love in my heart. <laughs> he didn't say love at the time, but yeah, we're going that's a new that's a new word in his vocabulary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it's just that a business coach once said, "Love's not a word to use in business." But or Jackie hopes. has countered that, and I now agree with Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so essentially, I went to Chuck. Y'all heard this story a bunch. I go to Chuck, I say, I can't do this anymore. Something has to change. And he asked me who I enjoyed working with and why. And it was just high net wealth entrepreneurs in my local area that didn't have a care in the world because they already had $20 million. And they don't have any cash flow problems or any of the worries that a typical startup or small business owner have. And so he said, let's develop packages around that. And from there, I essentially, I sold 60% of my clients and revenue still doubled or tripled. 
And so I don't know that formula, if someone can help me with that later, <laughs> but it's good, right? It's a really good formula. And it's all about moving to that value price model because the fixed hourly rate is what's driving us into a big old hole. And so whether it's tax planning or tax advisory or CFO services or whatever your jam is, you've gotta find that jam and you've gotta stick with it because we want your passion and purpose to align so that you can bring the best ROI that you can to the table for everybody in life, right? I'm actually working on a formula for life, a mathematical formula for life. I'll do another discussion on that. That sounds interesting. Yeah. yeah. And then another big event that happened, you know, things were rolling along. I had started coaching with Chuck, 2018 hits, and some of the ghosts of my past with my side of the family, there's a lot of mental instability there caught up with us. Um, my sister had fell, had a seizure, ended up having double brain surgery. I had a picture of her looking very peaceful in this whole, like, I mean, she had the helmet, she had all the straps and stuff on her arms. They had to strap her arms down for about three months because she wasn't conscious enough to like, she would wake up and try to get out, like kind of like a wild animal. And so it was insanely life-changing event to reteach her how to walk, who she was, who we were, how to talk, how to eat. And it was like a six month process. And fortunately she did get significantly better, but I wouldn't have been able to do that and take all that time away from work. I was flying back and forth to Florida to help without reclaiming the time that I had. And so it was such a blessing to, to get that back. And another thing that happened in that time was I got a little DM on Facebook from a gal named Veronica and she said, hey, I saw you on a CPE and I really love what you're doing. I want to work with you. And she worked down the road in Rockwall, Texas, which is not too far from us. And I was like, okay, great, because I really need help. <laughs> and so I literally interviewed her by my sister's bedside in Florida, trying to watch my sister not like scratch herself or hurt herself or fall and hit her head again. And Veronica has just been such a blessing and kind of like my little guardian angel over the years. And so I turned over a ton of stuff to her that you probably shouldn't have done within like a two month period. She became our tax reviewer, etc. But it just worked. And so Veronica, I'm so thankful for you. Thank you. All right, I want to take a quick poll. So just kind of count in your head all the yeses. Or maybe like you in the past versus now and compare like how you are with maybe some changes you've made. So are you available for work nights, weekends, and vacation time? Do a little tally. <laughs> but were you ever? Yes, of course. Do you tend to take on more than you can handle? Are you tallying in your head, Michelle? Okay. No, I'm fine. <laughs> Oh, denial, denial, okay. Is it common to work more than 40 hours a week? Has your work caused any health issues? Baldness. <laughs> oh, like Appalachia. <laughs> Sorry, we can't laugh at that. That's not, that's a serious condition. Okay. And do you get irritated when people ask you to stop working? I 
remember I used to get super irritated because I was like, I'm right in the middle of something. I can't stop to do family stuff or whatever. So based on kind of how you tally that or how you might have tallied it in the past, those tend to be signs of workaholism. And it's not normal to work 60 hours a week. Do I have to say that again? <laughs> it's not normal to work 60 hours a week. We are literally torturing ourselves. And we have to find that balance. So if you actually account for it or calculate what that means with our average week, let's say you're working 65 hours a week, you sleep six hours a night, that's 95 hours already gone in the week. There are 168 hours in a week, so that means 60% of your week is gone with work or rest. And then you're left with like nothing for vacation, time with loved ones, doing what you love doing. And don't get me wrong, I love doing this. It's okay for you to have a passion around what we do, but it's when you take it too far because we can't just work our lives away. There's so much more to life. And that's where those two wake-up calls happen for me. Like, wow, this tax return not getting filed was like the highest thing on a pedestal to me of like importance and stress. And then these events happen in your personal life and you're like, wow, that really means nothing in the grand scheme of things because people are what really matter, right? So you've got thousands of hours of your life that you're spending towards these 12 hour days or whatnot. So remember those big, hairy, audacious balls we're juggling? Well, <laughs> there's a third type of ball as well, and it's a lead ball, and it's things that you need to drop and never pick up again. And so that's where delegation comes into play, right? Delegation, you have to look ahead at the following week, do your time blocking, your structured week, and literally analyze every meeting and think, do I really need to be there? Is this really something that I have to be present for? And in probably half the cases, it's not. I feel like all I do is meetings now, and so that's hard to say, but a lot, there's a lot of things that you don't have to be present for, right? Has anyone felt like they've done a good job of delegating at their firms? <laughs> okay, okay, good. Yeah, I've noticed through coaching, you always had someone helping you with something, which is really good. Well, I can get better. You gotta be more effective. Delegation is one of those things that you have a There's always another problem. Right, exactly. And it's something we talked about last night. We have to focus on our strengths. There's the Clifton Strengths Finders, which I highly recommend if y'all haven't done that test. You like that one, Michelle? Yeah. My actual, my new favorite book is called Work Plus Love by Marcus Buckingham, and he created Strength Finders with Clifton or whatever the guy's name is. So I'm really enjoying <laughs> that book. So yeah, delegation, constant reevaluation of delegation and what you can get off your plate. Focus on those strengths. Let go of the rest, right? And having a community. You know, Veronica came from the Facebook group. Actually, it would be interesting to go around and see how we all actually ended up meeting each other at different conferences or whatever, which maybe we can do if we have time. But the, I feel like the Facebook community, the Accounting from Influencer group, is just like so powerful. And have y'all seen there's a couple people that are like, they're retiring right now, and they post on there like, Thank you so much for like the years that I've been able to participate in this. This has been such a great like place to be. 
And so it's really nice, like, not to feel quite so lonely in our entrepreneurial stuff, right? And then my third suggestion is to find your ROI in the world. So everyone's formula is going to be different. We might, if we're a for-profit, should be a part of that. If you're not for profit, it's more gonna be about purpose, but it's really, the formula's kinda like profit plus purpose over passion. That's the formula that I found. Because in the book, Work Plus Love, Mark Buckingham says, you need to be doing about 20% of something you're passionate about every day to actually enjoy life mm -hmm. in your work. And so I think I've come up with that formula of combining purpose and profits because those are gonna help even each other out. And then making sure that it comes over the passion and you get a nice like 300 to 800% ROI. That's the goal <laughs> for life. Did you say profit plus purpose over passion? Uh-huh. Yeah. Profit plus purpose. Profit plus, yes, exactly, divided by passion. And that's your ROI. And my daughter and I developed this formula. It was so cute. <laughs> we were trying to figure out what's that word. Is it success equals this? Is it impact equals these things? And I couldn't find the word. And then it just came to me. It's ROI, my favorite word in the world. <laughs> so it was pretty exciting. And she was not impressed by that. She had no idea what I was talking about. Impact is good too, yeah. Because that's really like you said, is because if you really want to have an impact on the business right now, you gotta generate profit. I mean, right. you really do. You've got to generate profit. Speak up just a little bit. Oh, I'm sorry. If you really want to generate impact as a business owner, you have to create profit because big business is solution. Then you're able to actually do something, right? You know, like I have a lot of clients who are starting out profits, right? And you, know, you can't do that unless you're profit. Uh, you know, that's why I mean some people talking about, oh, I really want this and this, and I'm like, listen, you know, if you really want to make this, generate profit, then you can pay your employees more, and you right. can create a better idea, that creates impact, mm -hmm. right? Then mm -hmm. you can actually give money away instead of all this, you know, just working, right? And just keep it for yourself, right? So, anyway, for sure. I like that. That also yeah. brings up the question, maybe you notice, Jackie, but what's the percentage of the industry that are actually not profit? That they're just barely. Oh, they're like running like nonprofits. Yeah. No, no, no. no they're working they're on firms. I mean, think about it. How many firms are like running in the red rather than the black? Exactly. Mm -hmm. You know that that would be interesting. I was out. looking at purchasing wow. a farm, three partners, million dollars profit. I, I looked like thirty minutes. Okay, so <laughs> right. Eight grand a profit per partner. Okay. And they had some employees that were making 150. And I, they were like, it was like, I was like, you know, I told the broker, they need to hire a business coach. <laughs> they really, I was like, they need to hire a business coach. I don't want those. So the thing is, is, but how would I pay a million dollars for a firm that's like, and I keep on seeing the firm go down in price and price, and I was like, really? Because I showed it to my tax manager who she makes a lot of money. I was like, this is, a, this is what some partners are making. They're killing themselves during taxes. Yeah, that's crazy. Literally. <coughs> Literally killing themselves. All right, so I'm going to conclude this little piece of our day with a story that I do not have memorized about a thousand marbles. And it all comes back to the balls, right? So an older man said to a younger man, well, Tom, 
it sure sounds like you're busy with your job. I'm sure they pay you well, but it's a shame you have to be away from home and your family so much. Hard to believe a young fellow should have to work 60 or 70 hours a week to make ends meet. Too bad you missed your daughter's dance recital. He continued, let me tell you something, Tom, something that has helped me keep a good perspective on my own priorities. And that's when he began to explain his theory of a thousand marbles. I sat down one day and did a little arithmetic. The average person lives about 75 years. I know some live more, some live less. On average, folks live about 75 years. Then I multiplied 75 times 52 weeks to come up with 3,900 Saturdays that the average person has in their entire lifetime. Now stick with me, Tom. This is the important part. It took me until I was 55 years old to think about all of this in detail. And by that time, I lived through over 2,800 Saturdays. I got to thinking that if I lived to be 75, I only had about 1,000 of them left to enjoy. So I went to a toy store. I bought every single marble they had. I ended up having to visit three toy stores to round up 1,000 marbles. I took them home, put them inside a large clear plastic container, right next to me, and every Saturday since then, I took one marble out and threw it away. I found that by watching the marbles diminish, I focused more on the really important things of life. There's nothing like watching your time here on Earth run out to help you get your priorities straight. Now, let me tell you one last thing before I sign off with you and take my lovely wife out to breakfast. This morning, I took the very last marble out of the container. I figure if I make it until next Saturday, then I've been given a little extra time. And the one thing we can all use is a little more time. It was nice to meet you, Tom. I hope you spend more time with your family and I hope to meet you again. You could have heard a pin drop. He gave us a lot to think about. And Tom had planned to work that morning and instead he went upstairs, woke his wife up with a kiss, said, come on, honey, I'll take you and the kids to breakfast. And he said, hey, can we stop at a toy store while we're out? I need to buy some marbles. So consider what the cost is emotionally, financially, and physically of you overworking, you postponing action or change, and how many marbles are you losing? So my challenge to you is consider one thing, one thing from this conference that you can take home and implement and make your life better, make your family's life better, make your team's life better, it's all about just those tiny little steps towards really amazing progress and change. listening to the concierge cpa hosted by tax plan iq we believe that every person has a unique message that can positively impact the world if you are a successful accounting firm owner or influencer who would like to be on this program please visit jackiemeyercpa.com j-a-c-k-i-e-m-e-y-e-r cpa.com to apply please share this on social media and rate us so we can continue our good work Join our Facebook group called Accounting Firm Influencers or connect with me on most platforms under Jackie Meyer CPA. Thanks for being accountable to transforming our industry today.